I'm Jeff Saperstein, co-author with Hunter Hastings of the book, The Interconnected Individual, Seizing Opportunity in the Era of AI, Platforms, Apps, and Global Exchanges. As an interconnected individual, you'll want to know how cutting-edge thinking can help you design, implement, manage, and enjoy your own individual economy. Today, we're talking with Wayne Skipper, founder of Concentric Sky. Wayne's team leads the development of the Open Badges Standard, helping to create an open standards ecosystem focused on catalyzing advancements in education. They contribute to standards development at W3C, IEEE, and IMS Global. Wayne is also featured in our book, The Interconnected Individual, and has provided his informed perspective. We'll discuss how Wayne views online upskilling, open standards for badging, and continuous learning. You can greatly enhance your career if you build continuous learning into your work experience. So let's begin. Hello, Wayne. Hello. Terrific. So Wayne, can you provide an example of how open standards works for us? Uh, sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I would say a great example of an open standard is uh, something I go to a lot when I'm giving examples, which is your traditional power plug. So you'll see a power plug in the wall. You know, when you go to plug something into the wall, you don't have to measure how far apart the pins are. You don't have to measure, you know, how deep they go. All of that's been taken care of for you by open interoperability standards that the manufacturers have all agreed to conform with. So when you see a plug, you can just plug it into the wall. Right, and that's one of the main benefits of open standards and exactly what we're trying to do with credentialing in the digital space. Fantastic. So uh, understanding that in terms of education, if someone is, uh, has an open standard for learning Salesforce or learning Google Analytics or learning any skill set, that would be translatable and transferable to any industry or any company, is that right? Uh, yeah, the way I would say it is that uh, digital badges, open badges specifically, create a common language with which we can describe any sort of learning achievement from any source. So we can take that uh, CPR cert certification that expires and describe that in the same way we describe on-the-job training or academic accomplishments or volunteer work. Really, any form of learning achievement now becomes this pluggable entity and can be plugged into other systems. And this allows organizations to then build off of the credentials issued by other organizations and to be able to apply machine learning and other algorithmic processes to learning from all sources. Great, thanks for that clarification. You know, so many of us have gone through university matriculation programs mm -hmm. and getting degrees and advanced degrees. Um, and now we have open standards and uh, what are called middle skills, these kinds of skill sets that can be uh, certified as you're talking about. Can you talk about how you see open standards as a way to augment university education and enable people to improve their career options? Uh, sure, you know, I would say the big challenge facing uh, higher education today, at least in the US, is uh, this notion of relevance and really time to market the credentials and skills that employers need. You know, as you know, a degree is generally connotated in terms of the amount of time it takes to get. So you have a four-year degree, a two-year degree, but what that doesn't tell you is what a student mastered or what skills they demonstrated and you know, what level of mastery is associated with those. And this is really driving this whole shift towards what we call competency-based education. 
So having open standards like uh, open badges in particular allow universities to design programs that build off of other certifications. For example, you could offer an IT course, right? maybe a program, an AS degree, four-year degree, and the first part of that might be getting a certification from an industry body like Oracle or Microsoft or Amazon. And so then if the learner leaves the program prior to graduation, they don't walk away empty-handed. Plus, you know that the skills they're developing are directly in alignment with the needs of industry at the time they're being taught, and you don't have a several-year-long feedback loop where institutions are trying to figure out what skills employers need. Because what's happened is that uh, you know, the landscape is shifting too quickly for institutions to keep up. And so the only way they will be able to maintain relevance, particularly in the technical field, is by working with these other external bodies that can actually adapt more quickly. So it's all tied together into a holistic ecosystem. That's fantastic. And while you're talking about ecosystems, so many of us got our education in the classroom at a university where we were sequestered um, and obviously not only put the time in, but had to show up in a particular place. So how do you see continuous education changing with the use of online technology, all forms of technology, actually? Yeah, I would say, you know, the big, the big shift is really away from the notion of seat time, the Carnegie unit, and instead towards the demonstration of ability, demonstration of competencies. And that's the real shift. I would say that, you know, technology is a tool. And when technology was first applied to education, think, you know, online learning, it didn't really have that big of an impact. Right, because we have these traditional ways of thinking, as you said, driven by, you know, the student shows up in the place, they're there for the amount of time, and that's really what we're counting, not their level of mastery, right? So we have this course notion of you know, GPA that says how well the student's done overall, but no insight at all into the granularity of their skills and their level of mastery of those skills. Well, as it turns out, that doesn't scale very well. And so where I see technology really starting to impact education is now that we have both the pedagogy for competency-based education and the technology to make it possible, employers are demanding that they get this level of information that they didn't heretofore realize was possible. And that's really the shift that we're starting to see. So I would say the, the, you know, the story has not yet to be written about how uh, technology is going to impact education. Uh, I don't think we're very far down that road at all. I think we're just starting to see it. Well, you know, Wayne, you and I can remember when MOOCs came out, uh, oh, sure. massive online courses, and that was the rage of having a professor stand up in front of a camera and lecture the way they would in a classroom, but having it uh, broadcast. It seems that that's such a baby step compared to where we are, and yet you're saying we're still at the infancy of uh, technology yeah. learning. Yeah, I mean, a, a MOOC is a, exactly the same uh, concept as you see in a traditional educational setting in higher ed, just with uh, some sort of technology enablement, right? So you can get to more students, but you're really kind of using the same sort of concept, right? Spend right. the amount of time doing the thing, and we'll give you some course assessment at the end. Uh, so that didn't really move the ball at all, and we saw that with, uh, you know, a lot of the issues that have been serviced about MOOCs, particularly the low completion rates, right, which yeah. is a big back to that that model but you know what we see in competency-based education is an entire shift towards thinking about the outcomes when you're designing your program why are we teaching students these skills how are we going to connotate those skills and to whom right those are the questions that universities in particular have never really had to ask before and that competency-based education is really pushing everyone in that direction solely for the need that uh, you know employers 
have a, a, a vast thirst for talent. And with the current unemployment rate being so low, it's uh, going to be more and more challenging for uh, you know, employers to find the talent that they need. And they need to be able to do that in as close to real time as possible, which is why we need interoperability standards at the technology level to facilitate that work. That's absolutely right. You know, um, we're throwing around some terms here and I wanna be sure that people understand the language. So can you define open standards, certification and badging so people can understand the relationship of how these combine as a real game changer and maybe talk about tech ed and gamification as well since the methods of teaching have changed since just lecture hall and MOOCs. So that combined the, the way of teaching as well as uh, open standards certification and badging. Sure, sure. I would say, you know, an open technology standard is a, an agreement between a number of parties to handle something in a particular way. You know, you can go back to my power plug example. You can think about the way the internet itself works. So we have a standard for conveying information in a browser that's called HTML, right? And you might have different people implement that. You might have Safari or Chrome or Internet Explorer, but they're basically all doing the same thing, taking this information that's defined in an agreed upon way and rendering it in their product, right? So that's how we use open technology standards in education, right, is that we have these agreed upon ways of thinking about things. And that segues into what an open badge is. So an open badge is a technology standard that was originally created by Mozilla back in 2011. My company wrote the 2.0 version on behalf of MacArthur back in 2015. But at the, at the end of the day, what an open badge is, is really just an agreed upon way of packaging information about a learning achievement. Mm -hmm. And so that is a form of an open standard. Now, certifications are, you know, something that exists in the offline world, right? You see them all over the place. You might be certified to be a mechanic to work on a car, right? You might be certified to, you know, perform carpentry or provide electrical services at a particular level, right? So certification is a broad notion. What we're doing in the online realm is using digital badges to provide a machine-readable form of a certification. So now I can say in a way that is digitally verifiable that I have a certification. It's not a piece of paper that somebody has to go make a phone call to find out if it's genuine, right? We can do all of that in real time based on the technology. And that's how those three concepts work together. Fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about how you see the evolution of ed tech and gamification and ways of new ways of learning these skill sets? Sure, sure. I mean, I'll tackle gamification first because I think a lot of people, you know, maybe don't think about it the same way that I do. So, you know, for me, gamification is not about making people enjoy the work, right? We can actually use this common trait that we have as humans to collect tokens. It doesn't matter what the tokens are or what the system is that the tokens exist in. It could be Beanie Babies, right? It could be collectible plates. It could be little silver spoons. It doesn't matter. People will go collect them, right? And you can use this trait to motivate people through a system. Mm -hmm. That's the value of gamification, right? Not necessarily to make people like it, but to make people do it anyway, right? That's the value of gamification in education is using our understanding of human psychology to get people to the end of the puzzle or the end of the list or whatever it is we're trying to get them to do, right? That's the real value of gamification. And I think that's lost on a lot of people who think that gamification is really just about trying to make things more fun. 
And there's value in making things more fun. You know, I want everything to be more fun. Who doesn't? But that's why I think, you know, there's a little bit of nuance there that, that's lost. Mm -hmm. And badges are a really excellent way of doing this because it provides tokens in a system. And then those tokens themselves are portable, digitally verifiable, and can be used for a multitude of other purposes. And all of this, you know, combines together into, you know, what I described as this holistic ecosystem in education, which is really pointing towards the future of AI and automation, right? right. So an open badge creates a way of describing a learning achievement in a platform independent way. Uh, we have these things called competency frameworks that allow us to give structure to curricula that are also machine readable, right? So you can actually understand what a particular skill is and how it's assessed. Right. And then you can pass that information along with the credential and having this ability, you know, we're adding digital transcripts through an initiative that we're leading called the comprehensive learner record. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different pieces to this, but at the end of the day, the goal is to quantify learning. This is how I describe it. Right. So what right. we're working on is the quantification of learning itself so that it can be algorithmically processed. And what this gives us the ability to do is to create a Netflix style recommendation system for education, right? We know enough about you to say that this is the next course you should take. Maybe you should consider taking this next course, right? That's and that's fantastic. the entire future yes. of education and workforce actually. Yeah. Both of those two things tied up quite closely. A, a digital yellow brick road, huh? It's fantastic. I want to dig a little deeper on this gamification issue because one aspect that you talk about was the rewards aspect of gamification. But the other thing that I think is profound that I want to get your thinking on is that the actual way of learning that can be adapted through AI to the way somebody actually learns. Somebody might be a visual learner so that it's more video focused in terms of learning what they need to learn. Somebody may be more puzzle focused, so you create puzzles. Um, I'm using uh, terms that are commonly understood, but as you start to get deeper into the way that AI can customize the learning methods, then you, and, and please complete this loop for me, then you could address this low completion rate that we see, say, at community colleges, where, gee, if we can go from 20% to 80%, uh, of completion using gamification skill uh, tools, not just the rewards, but the tools of how people are learning, uh, wouldn't that be a big breakthrough? And is it feasible? Yeah, I, I would split that off a little bit. And I would say, I would describe that more as personalized learning or highly uh -huh. personalized learning. But you're exactly right. You can use AI and machine learning to look at uh, successful patterns that students have had making it through a system. And then you can try to find ways that you can recommend to students that are very similar, ways they can accomplish the same thing. And using this sort of machine learning approach, you can do exactly what you described. Identify people that are visual learners and provide them with visual content that's aligned to the same machine readable competency frameworks as say a written test or some other type of learning. So that we know we're covering the same materials, we're assessing them in similar ways that we can agree upon, but we can actually teach it using a different methodology. So that is absolutely the direction of ed tech, although I wouldn't call that gamification personally, I would think of that as personalized learning. But you know, I want to touch on the completion issue just in community colleges just a bit because I do a lot of work with community colleges and I think they're beaten up unfairly around the notion of completion. So, you know, for example, let's posit a learner who, you know, they currently have a job in an industry, they'd like to become a welder. 
So they go to community college, they take a welding course. Well, then they go and they get a job as a welder. Is that a win or a loss? Right, you know, so you have a student, they went through, they took enough of a program to identify that as a new career and they got a job in that field. That's a win. But the community college is beaten up because they didn't complete a program. Yeah. And I think that that is a bit of nuance that's lost for people when they start trying to compare the four-year approach to education to the two-year, right? That's a, that's a great point. Different, different ways of thinking. So I don't think completion is particularly a relevant metric for community colleges, not the ones that we work with anyway. So you know, there's lots of different models in different states, and especially when you start looking internationally at you know, approaches to post-secondary. But you know, I feel like co community colleges just get beaten up unfairly about that. So I just wanted to call that out a little. I'm so glad you made that clarification because we're all searching for metrics that are meaningful and you've, you've helped. Um, so looking at the individual who, who may be looking at their career navigation, understanding they have to continuously learn, how can people better understand what they need to learn and how to get the right training for their future? And you alluded to this with this idea that the, a program can actually be telling you what is the next thing that you should be learning and where to get it. How do you see that? Uh, how do you see the person who is going to actually do that? Uh, what do they need to better understand and maybe get access to that's in a very practical way to create their own learning program? Yeah, great question. You know, I would say that, you know, we don't quite have enough structure and data to build a Netflix style recommendation system writ large for our education system. Right? A lot of mm -hmm. our systems are still on paper, right? We're nowhere near the level of machine readability and computability we need to design such a system on a large scale. Although we start, you know, little efforts here and there, we're involved in some, you know, but they're, they're all pilots, very early stages. So we're several years away at least from being able to do that in a way that's super easy for learners, right? So for a little bit of time, I think people are still kind of on their own in the traditional world of trying to find a good match for what an employer is looking for. That said, you know, with our product Badger, what we've done is we, you know, we've created not just open path, open badges, but the, uh, you know, this notion that we call open pathways. It's a new standard, right? And the idea is that you can stack badges from multiple systems together into systems of meaning. Well, part of the benefit of that is that it suddenly allows you to discover new learning opportunities. So our philosophy is that the badge isn't the end of the story. It's the beginning of the next chapter of the story. Right. So a lot of people, they'll give you a credential and then off you go. Sorry, you're done here. Right. Go share it on LinkedIn or whatever. We don't care. But for us, what a badge does or any sort of digital credential is it allows you to see new learning pathways that contain that credential. Right. And so now we can start thinking about learning and earning opportunities that are related to credentials based on where they fall into pathways and systems of meaning across institutions and employers. And that's the Badger ecosystem that we're currently building now with over 10,000 partners worldwide. So that's the short oh, that, term. That, that, that's fantastic, Wayne. Let, let me finish this up on the human element. I'm sure in your career as mine, we've had mentors, we've had colleagues, we've had support from people professionally who um, really helped us to, um, one, enjoy our work life uh, better and to improve, but also the human relationship. Everything we've talked about so far seems to be an online experience. How do you see balancing these two, not just in K through 12 education where the child gets developed as the whole person, but as the 
adult who is looking at their career and looking at this human element combined with everything we're talking about? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, you know, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm in the same camp as Jack Ma, you know, founder of Alibaba, which right. is that, you know, any, anything that can, uh, you know, be structured, any sort of rote remembrance, any sort of thing that can be processed will be done by machines and algorithms in the not too distant future. There will be no work available for anything that can be done by a machine. But that's actually good news, right? Because there's a lot of things that can't be done by machines. So, you know, my prediction is that we're going to start to see a shift back towards the humanities, right? Because those are squishy. Those are going to be very hard to automate. And as an employer, I would much rather hire somebody with a philosophy degree that I can teach engineering skills to than somebody who has, you know, a master's degree in computer science, but no comprehension of ethics. Yeah. Right. Because I think the former is, you know, it's harder to teach ethics than it is to teach computer skills. And I think we're going to start to see this shift writ large for institutions that survive the declining enrollments and, you know, all the challenges that we currently see in higher ed in the U.S. And there's going to be a big shift back towards their core mission, which is to create whole human beings, right? This classical sort of, you know, you can think of it as the approach from antiquity that we call the liberal arts education. This notion that you don't know what problems a learner might face in their life, so teach them how to think critically. Right. You know, the, the, the genesis of our entire education system that's really morphed over the last you know, couple hundred years into a system of providing workers to industry, I think is going to shift back towards the humanities. At least that's my hope. Well, coming from the humanities, I share that. And I guess the, the corollary to that is, is the, the teacher that makes an influence in your life, the colleague who takes an interest in you as a colleague. Um, how do you see that evolving, uh, Wayne, in terms of not simply the curriculum that someone's taking or the expertise in philosophy, but the opportunity to develop uh, human relationships that are fulfilling for people? Agreed. Agreed. I would say, you know, that starts to touch on issues that we have as a species, really, with everybody spending so much time looking at screens and not interacting with each other, definitely something that we want to nip in the bud. Uh, you know, shortly, you know, I would say there's just no, there's no substitute for FaceTime, right? We see it yeah. in the workplace, we see it in education. There's simply no chance that a completely digital learning experience is going to replace the value of in-person face-to-face time. I just don't see that happening. Potentially, you know, in a generation when we have what's called, called artificial general intelligence, uh, you know, maybe that situation changes a little bit. But certainly for the next generation or so, there's just no replacing that. And I think that is a strong place for, uh, you know, institutions of higher education to sort of central or circle, at, circle the wagons around, right? Because there's just no way that any technology is going to replace that. Well, that's a fantastic place to end, Wayne, because you're helping to create the future of training, education, skill development, uh, but you're finishing up on a humanistic and interpersonal note, which is a terrific balance, and you've been very generous, and I encourage everybody to continue to follow Wayne Skipper and Concentric Sky, and uh, we look forward to all the wonderful things you'll be doing. Thanks so much, Wayne. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jeff.